Thanks for joining us today. On today's episode, we spoke to Emily Hibbard, a recent Boston University grad who has carried out focused research in the past for alacrity. Today, she discusses her research on the difficulties of rural women in India in accessing financial services, an issue which, like so many others, has been exacerbated by the recent pandemic. Emily offers a model for confronting these disparities without losing sight of the larger societal issues, which is something often sorely lacking in our solutions and technology-based analysis. We had to pre-record her presentation for technical reasons, so I won't be speaking during, but I'll check in with you all at the end and let you know how you can learn more. Thanks for listening. Hello, everyone. My name is Emily Hibbard. I'm a recent graduate of Boston University, and I have previously worked for Alacrity, helping them research instant mobile money movement within the United States and the global landscape for real-time payments. So from that research, I decided to look further into unbanked populations in developing countries to see how financial technology tools had been utilized to prop up these communities and help people who have more limited access to formal banking opportunities. Specifically, I chose to focus on women working in the textiles and garments industries in India. It's important to understand that under the forces of our liberal market economy, large populations not maintaining savings account or not having a state-insured rainy day fund can reinforce both cyclical poverty and cyclical gender inequality due to the volatile cycles of this capitalist market and then the often higher exposure of women and children in developing countries to the extremes of these cycles. It is a fact that women in lower, less educated classes are less likely to witness formal banking opportunities and therefore have no or limited liquid protected assets once income stops. So in India, at the point of the COVID-19 lockdown, many contractual employees within the garments industries surveyed had only completed three weeks of their employment contract. And in some instances, only around 20% of employees actually received those payments. So although it's only three weeks and we assume it's minimal pay, the, this these payments would have been crucial going into the coming weeks of the pandemic. The, these were temporary workers. They did not have formal guaranteed positions. They relied on short contract work to receive money to then travel back to their villages and give their money to their families. So without this paycheck, it set back many people. For contractual workers at the point of lockdown, migrants who had come from out of state or out of region were stranded in their garment clusters with no work and no income. They had two options, which were to travel home and find the money and resources to travel home or stay in the urban centers, in the factories and potentially starve. Those who did return home reported receiving loans for travel from local money lenders at nearly extortionate rates of uh, sometimes up to 20%. And the journey many migrant workers took to return to their villages, often taking up to 18 days at a time, demonstrated a very clear lack of concern and involvement on the state level. Many were still stranded, starving without any communication, until June of 2020, and they had left their factories in March of 2020. So that's around three months without money, access to food, or assistance from the government or their employers. And then on top of this, the overrepresentation of women in informal textile-related labor 
means that because of their gender alone, women are directly disproportionately affected by the lack of government or employer intervention. And it's really important to consider how much the economic growth that India witnessed was on the back of the women in these textiles and garments industries. The nature of the factory jobs at that time was even more temporary and informal, so it was a female-dominated workforce. As the economy further developed, young women and girls began to realize that they could migrate to urban centers for short periods of time to gain work and money for their families. The population was incredibly young with limited skill sets and very few financial resources. Um, the majority of individuals participating in the work were then unmarried and childless, forced to enter work to earn money for their families, and they were not seeking permanent work. But today, as this initial population of women who entered the workforce in the late 1990s and early 2000s ages, as to their needs, they no longer should be filling such temporary informal positions, and they should have access to formal bank accounts independent of the family unit. Although today in India, in terms of statistics, women are certainly entering the workforce at higher rates, the social behavior surrounding their employment and the nature of their employment is largely inequitable. With this understanding, as new technology becomes available and players invest in more robust and complex supply chains, men will continue being hired at the same rates, but in more senior and higher paying positions. Due to the established position of men in the workforce and the often informal nature of women's work, the woman is then unable to advance upward in a company and is still exposed to the great power imbalances, inconsistencies, and informalities in pay and general emotional and physical harassment. From the lack of reproductive health care to malnutrition to gender-based violence, it is evident through inaction in workplace that socially women are not yet considered the same as men. While financial freedom and the tools of financial technology are not singular solutions to gender inequality, Financial security, literacy, and knowledge can provide a woman with a level of legitimacy that would be difficult to achieve otherwise, especially given the current household and workplace dynamics in much of rural India. In rural regions, many individuals in India are already relatively adjusted to the idea of a bank saki, or the female banker friend. This person serves as a BC, or a bank correspondent, and can help women in villages access their bank accounts. They use a customer service point which provides a final step in the banking process for remote or rural populations. My proposal is for a textile-specific banking correspondent team, which solidifies the concept of the Saki and incorporates them further into both the factory and the bank. So as successful as the banking correspondent project has been, the project fails to properly address several nuances, such as literacy issues amongst women, access to savings for reproductive health care, and the tendency for men within the household to control the women's assets. By extracting the process from inside of the family unit and placing it into the woman's place of work, it adds a layer of formality and helps to ensure the, women, the woman has true financial freedom. In India, while 77% of women own a bank account, only about 50% of women use it, and when they use it, it's either in an extremely limited manner or they are not the ones using it. In women specifically, awareness of financial products, services, and opportunities is incredibly low. 
operating in conjunction with a woman's lack of education or ability to become educated are the issues of low individual automobility, low literacy rates, and restrictive cultural barriers. A woman's ability to create, maintain, and grow personal assets stems directly from the existing societal structure and her disregarded role in the economy. So therefore, my proposed model, which would put banking correspondence in textile and garments industries, factories, would address providing greater banking opportunities specifically for women in the textiles and garments industries. These women's jobs are some of the most vulnerable in the industry, yet they represent the vital underbelly of the global fashion industry. With the understanding of the use of bank correspondence, sockies, and building on the pre-existing NREGs or National Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme, the proposed model would mimic the rollout and flow of the smart card system. So for some background, the smart card system under NREGs successfully addressed issues of accessing the rural poor to disperse employment and welfare payments. Recent research by Group Poverty Action clearly demonstrates that the mode of implementation used by the Indian government, beginning in several concentrated regions and expanding based on the individual successes, helped with adapting consumer behavior and ensuring there were minimal areas for leakage. Rather than accessing individuals through a pre-established medium, as is the case with India's National Rural Employment Guarantee Act, this act would this attempt would rely on the factory workers and newly emerging workers' unions to reach and understand the needs of the employees. A team of individuals across jobs and pay levels within the factory would operate as liaisons, expressing employee grievances or issues with payments to ensure they are consistently being resolved. These individuals maintain close relationships with regional bank tellers who will first issue them tablets to access the payer application and then educate them on how to help other women set up and operate their accounts. From within a UPI or United Payments Interface payer application, an individual would then be able to send, receive, and manage bank accounts. Using this system is relatively simple, and with the help of a group of women who understand their needs and their context, newly banking women will then have another layer of financial freedom. The freedom to hold and manage their own bank account outside of the household unit and instantly move money from peer to peer. India maintains a multi-million dollar garment industry, employing between 8 and 12 million people. Of these employees, approximately 70% are women. As this economy has grown to incorporate greater gender diversity, the workplace has not necessarily experienced the vital transformation that it needs for the average rural woman. The garment industry specifically is responsible for much of the propulsion of women into the economy, while very few women who were working in the factories actually saw the benefits of growth. While not without flaw when it comes to the reception on the part of factory owners and the women working, my proposed integration of digital financial services into workplaces that are dominated by women seems to be a viable alternative to pushing equality through state-sponsored quotas, legislation, or initiatives that fail to address the difficulty of behavioral and societal change. As UPI already operates with payer apps, NPCI, the issuing bank, the acquiring bank, and the employer's primary service provider, the model would also successfully fuse several industries, generating an overall boost for multiple sectors. 
The ultimate hope is that the model uplifts women in the textile and garment industries while maintaining net positive benefits across all other sectors. Another big thank you to Emily for being on the show today. It's a shame we couldn't do a live interview, but that's just how internet connections are sometimes. She did pass on to me a few topics, though, in case you're interested in doing your own research. And those are India's Unified Payments Interface, or UPI, the Smart Card System, as well as the National Rural Employment Guarantee Scheme, all of which have information readily available on Google. If you want to reach out to Emily directly, you can find her on LinkedIn at Emily Hibbard, that's H-I-B-B-A-R-D. And finally, thank you all for listening to the show. Hope you have a great rest of your week.